Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For For Chemist Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Dender and shortly, and of course our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson will be joining us throughout the show. Now with just a couple of weeks to go in the A-League men's competition to complete the regular season and the COVID backlog, the top six looks all but locked in, but the Premiership is far from decided with the reigning Premier's Melbourne City on top. At the Wannabes, Western United can claim top spot by winning their remaining three matches. At the same time, Sydney FC look like they'll miss the playoffs for the first time since the 2015-16 season. From Network 10 and Paramount, the voice of football in Australia, Simon Hill, to catch up on the A-League as the season comes to conclusion. Willem, after that, with the latest on the Matildas and Socceroos around the club scene. Then from Stan, Socceroo and Premier League legend Mark Bosnich to take a look at the Champions League, where Liverpool took a giant stride towards another Champions League final with a commanding victory over Villarreal in their home tight Anfield. The day after Manchester City and Real Madrid turned on a football show for the ages to leave that tie very much alive ahead of next week's return leg at the Santiago Bernabeu. We'll wrap it up, of course, with stoppage time with Derek with a whole bunch of stories which we won't get to throughout the first parts of the show. But, Michael, uh, it's going to be a busy week. Um, Interested in to talk to Simon off the top, uh, particularly off the back of Sydney FC's dire performance uh, against Yokohama F Marinos and uh, and missing the finals of the A League uh, after being a fixture for so long. Hello, Rob, and hello to listeners in Australia and all around the world in far flung places and the most magic place in the universe, Earth, Willem, isn't it? Here's Good to see one. you, Willem. We're back in the studio hey. together after a little hey, while. Hey, how do you know it's the most magical place in the universe? Well, in uh, the context of my little brain, Rob, it certainly is. But um, maybe there is uh, intelligent life in, a, in, a, in another beautiful place, in one of the far-flung places of the universe. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about uh, everything in the world game here in Australia and uh, impacts Australia. But I'm looking forward to A-League finals. Um, really, really looking forward to the run into the finals, getting a little bit of excitement back. We've lamented from time to time that the A-League's been drifting and uh, hard to follow during the COVID uh, postponements and so forth. But I'm looking forward to that. But I must admit, I've been engrossed in the uh, Asian Champions League. There's been so much to watch. Uh, Sydney FC, you alluded to it in your comment, Rob. They have um, been crap as far as I'm concerned, in the uh, in the Asian Champions League, again they've been uh, they've been very very poor. And Yokohama, we've got that's a, obviously a topic of discussion with Simon, just how the slide of Sydney FC continues to uh, evolve. But uh, well done to Melbourne City; they're well in the hunt to qualify, and I'm looking forward to seeing if they can do that and get into the round of. 16 and, and see what they can do from here. But I've, I've been really engrossed in the Asian Champions League. Um, those people that are regular listeners to the program would know that I do love it. It's uh, my favourite club competition. And even in this um, sort of odd group phase, instead of home and away legs, um, is uh, is interesting. Um, but, yep, um, A-leg finals. And, and not to mention um, the big the big pointy end of the season overseas in Europe. Uh, We're getting to see some absolutely wonderful games and uh, those Champions League fixtures were fantastic. Can't wait to talk to Bozza about that and a lot of other things. But Willem, you've got the news here on Box to Box 
What is baking and breaking news? I want to talk about the Super Classico, Michael. We know it's coming to our MCG, and the Victorian government has confirmed that it is still going ahead. More drama this week. FIFA have mandated that Argentina and Brazil need to replay the World Cup qualifier, not in Melbourne, but in Sao Paulo, uh, a few days later after the, the Melbourne fixture. So should that secondary match go ahead, the Melbourne game will be relegated probably to just friendly status. Argentina's Football Association will appeal FIFA's decision, denying they were to blame for the initial delay in September. When, of course, I mean, who could, how could we forget the Brazilian health authorities uh, stormed the pitch and stopped the match? So, if that is to be the case, uh, Michael, and the game that we have scheduled isn't a World Cup qualifier, that means that Argentina are going to have games in Australia, England against Italy at Wembley, and Brazil uh, in Brazil within the same window. That's unmanageable. That is unmanageable. So, we'll get the B or the C team. But do you think um, the conspiracy theorists are lining up here? Do you think those um, Brazilian um, health officials that stormed the ground and stopped the match that uh, that we're talking about. Do you think they were paid off by the Victorian government so they could get this game? What do you think? Conspiracy <laughs> theorists are alive and well. Uh, you've only got to open up Twitter to get a few mm. conspiracy theories, but do you think that one has got any legs? Uh, that one could have legs. I know you're not a Dan Andrews man, but surely, I mean, that, come on, that's testing it. That's testing well, it. Well, I mean, you would have thought that the Victorian government, who shelled out probably a pretty penny of massive significance, these things aren't coming cheap. You reckon they would have covered off that in the contract? Well, it's out of their hands now, Rob, isn't it, for the Victorian government? Yeah, well, it well, seems it's like FIFA's well and truly trumped them. So well done, FIFA, because it is garbage. That, 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 that game should be... If that game is not a dead rubber, it should be played where it was originally fixtured in Brazil. And Rob, you would hope that they would have, yeah, tied. Sorry, they would have tied in a, some sort of deal to say if it's not a World Cup qualifier, um, maybe we'll reassess. It will exactly. Well, as Michael said, that the, you'd think that the Victorian state government would have this covered off in the contract, and uh, and they've been um, Martin Pakula at the announcement um, clearly saying that uh, that that there's close to full strength squads would attend. So if he's going to say that, you'd expect that it's uh, in the contract. So, hey, it'll all play out. Um, I know it will. I'm, I'm planning to go to that game regardless. Uh, I, I still see um, the match as a genuine uh, trial for players who are trying to get into the squad. So whether it's a qualifier or not really doesn't make that much of a difference. I mean, from a history point of view, it would be nice for it to be a qualifier to say that it was played in Australia at the MCG. But uh, but either way, it's it's an important match. So provided... No, he's a proud Victorian. Roberto beating the drums, saving them again. I think there is as bad as much chance of me getting selected for the Socceroos as there'll be the best string, the first string uh, or the first select teams of Brazil and Argentina playing at the MCG. Just quietly. On, is this the same guy that predicted Barcelona were going to go out of business? So um, I, I, I don't know that I'm going to back you on that one, Edge. Let's... That was a singer. Let's stay with... I kept that one in the back pocket for a while. Uh, let's stay with Barcelona. The A-Leagues have announced Dwight York is going to manage the All-Stars against Barca at Sydney's Olympic Park next month. Former Man U and Sydney FC striker York recently completed his UEFA Pro licence, but hasn't held any professional positions to this point. He's recently been linked with the vacant position at the Glory, but stated his focus is solely on the All-Stars assignment. That must have been part of the, uh, the UEFA Pro licence. Michael will learn to take it one game at a time. Bit of a throwback for Dwight York, but... Uh, I mean, you could understand why any half-decent A-League coach will be in the running for the grand final. So maybe they wanted to tie this up early. Uh, but if this had any credibility left, Dwight York. Well, no, nothing against Dwight York. But has someone told him that he can't select anybody who's in the grand final because the grand final happens a couple of days earlier? Rob, it's, uh, what do you make of this? Does anyone told him Dwight that? Well, I'm sure that, he would know. Well, but they can't be all-stars if there's no one from the grand final playing. Yeah, we, we've covered that. 
Yeah. Well, look, um, having said that, um, this is a, a bit of um, a bit of fun, a bit of um, what do they call the, the cricket T Twenty competition? Hit and giggle. Hit and giggle. This is a bit bit of the same thing, isn't it? It is a bit of hit and giggle. What about MacArthur though? Ante Milicic, he's a serious manager and he's said that he's going to leave at the season's end. He's going to Croatia for family reasons, he cited. He left his position, of course, with the Matildas to honour his pre-existing deal with the Bulls and led them to sixth place and a semi-final finish last season. His record... Pretty mediocre, and I don't say that critically. 20 wins, 20 losses, and 10 draws. Uh, Robbie's got fixtures against Melbourne Victory and Western Sydney to come to decide if he's going to make the top six. So in a 12-team league, he's finished sixth and sixth or maybe seventh. So it's been a a pretty middle-of-the-road job from Ante. Yeah, look, it has. And they really did have a strong squad going uh, into their, their debut season, MacArthur. And, you know, they, they started well. They looked like they were uh, going to be contenders uh, based on their, their early performances. But they've just slipped into a, a malaise and, and, and just can't get any consistency going. They've got the same excuses as every other club has, injuries, COVID and all the rest of it. But uh, this one does look like a legitimate story, though. I mean, we, we know from the days where Ante was uh, – uh, assistant coach at, at uh, the, the Socceroos and then with the Matildas that um, he spent a lot of time in Croatia. So we understand that he has, uh, you know, a lot of family there. And uh, and if it is for family reasons, then I, I guess we, we wish him luck. Uh, I couldn't imagine that uh, um, that they'd pull that card if, uh, you know, regardless of, of how MacArthur were going. So, um, yeah, I guess we just wish him well. Let's head abroad. The Ukrainian Premier League season has been officially abandoned with no winners crowned and standings to remain from February 24. A working group has been established to discuss the commencement of next season while the nation's two most successful and most famous clubs, of course, Shakhtar Donetsk and Dynamo Kiev, have recently played friendlies to raise funds for local aid. But unfortunately, uh, sad news emerging around Mariupol FC. We know that's a, a besieged region at the minute. Uh, they've reportedly been forced to fold. Um, their infrastructure has been destroyed in Russian's invasion of the region. So you'd hope, Rob, that from, uh, not to put it crudely, but from the, the ruins, that, the, you know, I mean, you can't you can't kill a club unless financially uh, it goes into uh, administration. Um, you might not have the infrastructure, but if the uh, the, the culture and the, the invested people can remain uh, to some extent at a time when football can sort of come back to the fore, uh, they might be able to rise again. Well, you'd hope so. I mean, these are just the tragedies that are the byproduct of uh, of war, aren't they? Where the people suffer enough as it is with uh, their lives disrupted, that many families losing family members, whether they're in the military or or innocent uh, bystanders who happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, their homes and infrastructure destroyed. So to to have the joy of football, which uh, uh, Ukraine obviously uh, isn't able to enjoy right now, um, this is sort of you know last straw kind of stuff, isn't it? So you just hope that when this thing eventually uh, is resolved and ended, because it will end one day, um, that um, that the world uh, football community can, can get behind Mariupol and, and help them to rebuild. I know these are motherhood statements, but... Uh, you know, what else is there to say under the circumstances? Agree with you, Rob. I reckon there's a job here for the football family to get behind those. It won't be just Mariupol. I imagine Kharkiv is probably, uh, their stadium's probably been well and truly smashed. But, um, yeah, all of those uh, um, clubs in uh, the Ukraine, uh, I just hope the football family gets behind them. Maybe some big clubs in Europe can uh, adopt uh, one of those clubs uh, while their stadiums are renovated. Maybe they have to play away from their cities for a little while next year and 
who knows? Uh, you know, I think the football family's got a role to play in that, and uh, I'm sure leadership in the game will will get behind them. Staying in Europe, Giorgio Chiellini's announced his international retirement, and that Italy's friendly against Argentina at Wembley in June will be his swan song match. Chiellini debuted for the Azzurro, Azzurri rather in 2004 and moves into outright fourth for all-time Italy appearances behind just Daniel De Rossi, Paolo Maldini, Fabio Cannavaro, and Gianluigi Buffon. He was, of course, a key part of the Euros triumph last season, and he said he's looking. For to retiring at the venue where he reached the pinnacle of his career. Rob, I can't believe he was only 29 at the uh, 2014 World Cup when Luis Suarez took a bite out of him. He's certainly, to my mind, been 35 for the last 10 years, Keelan. He's been around forever. Yeah, he looks like that. And you took the words right out of my mouth. Um, I was going to ask uh, if you recall that that most famous moment, uh, or one of the most famous or infamous moments in football when he was the victim. you never forget the look on his face, that, that classic Italian look as in, what the... As he just done, and but uh, Chiellini, an amazing player, but he was just so reliable. With I'm just biting him, Rob. <laughs> I was wondering what that noise was. That's my teeth. Um, yeah, the chompers. Um, well, you have been to the dentist today, haven't you, Ed? So I have been to the dentist today. Yeah. In good working order. But yeah, now Chiellini, just an amazing player, and I guess. Uh, the fact that he was unable to play that match at Palermo uh, against North Macedonia was uh, one of those. It's obviously, the difference, wasn't it? Well, you'd have to think so. I mean, uh, you know, if, uh, he had have got uh, help them to get there, uh, you know. That, that is feeding him the biggest upset of all time, isn't it? I mean, is there a bigger upset than North Macedonia beating Italy? Uh, it's a big call. In the 1966 World Cup, that is one of the... No, no, well, I mean, well, look, look, what, what, which one did you say, 1966, which one? North Korea. No, but, but they made the World Cup. I wouldn't say that. We're talking about a, a minnow that's nowhere near the World Cup, North Macedonia. So, mm. you know, I think that's probably more significant. Yeah, if we're back in 1966. Well, maybe who's the lowest ranked nation to upset a major, well, you know, nation like Italy? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to reinforce to all of our... You know, listeners, that, listeners, that there was a pretty bad result. Uh, and another week, another two Premier League sides are on their way down to Australia. This winter, it's been announced, Aston Villa and Leeds are going to play Brisbane Raw in the triangular Queensland Super Cup. Uh, it's going to be Villa's first trip here. I don't think they thought too long and hard about that name after the Sydney Super Cup seems to be uh, up in ruins, or no, certainly uh, Rangers won't be coming out. Premier League sides are going to meet at Suncorp Stadium on July 17. The Raw are then going to play Leeds on the Gold Coast, and the Villa from the uh, the heat of Birmingham are going to be well acclimatised for Townsville. Uh, the Premier League campaign then kicks off just a fortnight later. Uh, so this will be quite an important part of those uh, pre-seasons for Villa and Leeds, Rob. Yeah, great um, clubs to come to Australia. I know there's a young uh, fellow that, uh, that that does some work with our family, helps uh, caring for my little Alexander. He was born in uh, in Birmingham and uh, is, a, is a massive Villa fan, as are all his family. He always talks about uh, about the, the Villa on uh, when, we, uh, when we discuss football matters. So uh, yeah, huge support for so many of the, the top flight clubs around the world and uh, and Villa and obviously leads through uh, their proud history with uh, with uh, Australia over the years uh, Michael Bridges Harry Kewell and Mark Viduka of course so uh, yeah they, they, Jacob they, Burns don't forget Jacob yes yes exactly so uh, no no good stories I, I mean look as long as I've said many times, people know what they're in for when they buy the tickets to these matches. And, and as long as they, they know what they're expecting and they're not disappointed when some of the big names don't come out, as long as they get to see the shirt run around or the players in the shirt run around. So here's the uh, clubs that are coming to Australia. Barcelona, Brazil, Argentina, Leeds, Manchester United, Aston Villa, Crystal Palace, 
Um, it's pretty good. And Celtic, of course. And, and, and like my, my brother, you know, Tim, who you know, um, uh, he's he's coming down with uh, with his older boy for uh, one of the the, um, the Manchester United Crystal Palace matches. So they're making a specific trip for that just to the, for the experience. Joey's only uh, um, 11 years old now. So so that's just an example of, of, of... I think the big question is, with all the money that's going into the coffers of these big clubs for appearance fees, business class airfares, five-star hotels training pitches, medical services, all the things that the governments will be providing these clubs to come here. You just think with all of that money, if you could capture that money invested into the game, would the game be better off? You know, I'm not a fan of these things for that reason because the the, the fees, I know a little bit about this, Rob, and the fees are really, if you know, if, if they weren't commercial incompetence because that's how governments protect them. I think the general public would be pretty astonished at the fees that are going to these clubs and the resources that's put behind them. So I have a big question mark. I don't mind Manchester United playing Melbourne Victory and Brisbane playing um, Aston Villa. I like that a lot. Uh, I'm not keen on these friendlies, these meaningless friendlies, practice matches, scratch matches for the under-23s to play against each other. Uh, I'm just not. I'm just. I just think there needs to be greater scrutiny, and I'm not sure this is in the best interests of the game. Might be in the best interests of the promoters that are doing this, and the and the clubs that pick up the fees to be a part of it. But yeah, I don't know if it's. Uh, I don't know if it's in the best interest of the development of the game. Yeah, no, fair comment. I mean, there's plenty of people who share that point of view, and uh, and it does need um, further investigation with the kind of money that you're, you know, obliquely referring to uh, um, going back overseas and, and not staying in Australia when we so desperately need it. But uh, I guess the other side is that uh, there are uh, a, a lot of. Uh, uh, young people who are affected by these clubs coming and uh, and their passion for the game uh, grows as a result. So, okay, th- that's another story for, for another day. All right, boys, let's wrap it up there. Uh, we have got uh, Simon Hill coming up to discuss the uh, the wrap-up of the, the A-League season, who's going to be the premiers between Melbourne City and Western United. Victory is still a mathematical possibility, but it seems unlikely. Sydney FC are going to miss the finals for the uh, first time since the 2015-16 season. We'll talk to Simon about all of that next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box and uh, in this most tricky of A-League seasons, we're finally getting to the pointy end. The backlog of games is going to be cleared up over the course of the next couple of weeks and we will hopefully see, uh, after we see the title crowned, uh, the Premier's we'll see some exciting finals. And the man who's going to be calling all of those matches for Network 10 and Paramount is the voice of football in Australia, Simon Hill, and we welcome him back to the show. How are you, Simon? I don't know about all of them, but uh, some of them anyway. Yeah, good to be with you guys. (laughs) Hey, mate, um, before we get going on the the teams that are actually going to appear in the finals, I guess the the story that we we need to to clear up, uh, the the team that's likely to miss, I mean, mathematically, they could still make it, but uh, after, you know, a glorious era of the, the Graham Arnold and Steve Corica, um, period. The uh, the Sky Blues, uh, Sydney FC, are unlikely to make the finals. Uh, they had an embarrassing loss against Yokohama F Marinos, uh, who were down to ten men towards the end. Um, what, what's your observations on Sydney FC and, and the way their seasons uh, sort of petered out? They just look stale. It looks like it's a club and a team in need of a bit of a reboot. Um, that's not to be disrespectful to any of the players who've you know done fantastic things for, for Sydney FC over the last 
three, four, five years, but a lot of them have been there a long time. And maybe it's time to shake things up a little bit. Um, they've been, you know, certainly the last few games that they've been seemingly in control of matches. The Adelaide match was the, the classic example and somehow managed to throw it away. Very uncharacteristic errors by, you know, very experienced players, Ryan Grant and Alex Wilkinson going for the same ball and, you know, beaten by the bounce and Craig Goodwin tucks it away. And, and basically they lose three points, a game that they should have won very comfortably. Um, they've, they've had injuries and, you know, been affected by COVID, the same as a lot of other clubs. Um, you know, Adam LaFondra's been a bit up and down this season. Normally he's good for 15 goals a season. I think this year he's got maybe three or four. Um, Babo the same. Costa Barbarousas has had injuries, not been at his best. Elvis Kamsoba has been out. Yeah, it's, it's been one of those seasons. And while you don't want to say, oh, they should stick a, a line through all of those players because that would be disrespectful, I do think it, it, it smells of a club that needs of a bit of a rethink. Um, the recruitment at the start of the season was, you know, largely more of the same. Um, the fact that they brought Lafondra back, uh, Babro had already come back last year. That's not to say they're bad players. Again, you know, they're terrific players, but... Um, it, it seemed a little bit unimaginative at the time, and um, unfortunately, that's that's the way it's, it's played out. So, I think they've got a, a really important off season coming up, Sydney FC. They've got to have a, a big think about where they're going. Simon, um, a parallel. Uh, it's probably not a direct parallel, but obviously, last year Melbourne victory bottomed out, and there was a real sense of irritation and anger within the Melbourne Victory fan base. Um, there was a real, there was lots of discussions. There was lots of outpouring of, um, of um, disapproval of the way the club was running. Um, is it similar in Sydney with the Sydney FC fans? Are they disappointed that they've had another limp Asian Champions League campaign? Are they, you know, are they making noise like the Melbourne fans did last year or, or is it a different scenario? Look, it's it's been slow to, to rise um, because obviously Steve Corica has won back-to-back championships. Correct. Uh, and a premiership as well. So, you know, that does buy you a little bit of kudos with the fans and they've been pretty slow to get on his back. I've noticed it over the last couple of days, particularly that performance against Yokohama F. Marinos, the second game, uh, that they, they lost, you know, pretty... Pretty bad, yeah. yeah. Um, despite Yokohama being down to 10 men. And that's the first time I've seen some of the fans calling for Steve Corica to go. Uh, other than that, they've been, you know, rather patient. They were frustrated, of course, and, you know, uh, cause for change. But, but by and large, it had been relatively ambivalent because probably of what had, had gone before. But I think that patience is starting to wear a bit thin. Um, they're going to—it looks like they're going to miss out the Champions League again in terms of qualification for the round of sixteen. It looks like they're going to miss the finals for the first time since fifteen sixteen. Mm. So, you know, that brings its own pressures. And uh, I, to be honest, I think they've got every right to be a little bit um, irritated this season because you know what they've been served up has, has just not been good enough. Well, they do have a bit to look forward to, a new CEO, which will give a new breadth and leadership you would expect, uh, Danny Townsend replacement, whenever that's happening. And obviously uh, the stadium, the new stadium, is something that we're all excited about. Football people right around Australia, let alone Sydney FC fans, can't wait for the first Sydney FC game there. So there is a lot to look forward to. We just have to see the way it plays out. But let's. Um, we noticed that for the last uh, couple of 
rounds of the A-League that's going to be the name of the competition is going to be changed to the V-League because it's all about the Victorian teams Western Sydney uh, Western United I should say Melbourne City and Melbourne Victory are the only teams who can finish on the Premier's plate are you happy with that announcement that, that it's going to be changed to the V-League Simon? Doesn't matter to me mate I'm from Manchester um, but yeah look it's it's been a terrific I am taking suit. the piss but anyway it's <laughs> worth, it, is worth, it is worth giving it a go surely Absolutely, the Victorian yeah. teams are dominating and I, and I do live in New South Wales, so that's that's fair. Um, look, I think it's great that they've had terrific seasons. And I just said on another radio interview about an hour ago, um, it's what makes this more exciting, I think, in the finals race. Normally over the last few seasons, certainly the case last year, Melbourne City was so far ahead of, of the rest. And for the previous two or three seasons, Sydney FC were probably you know, the standout team as well. But this year you can... You can literally throw a blanket over City, Western, and Victory, and I, I don't know who's going to win out of those three because they've, you know, they've each got their strengths. Um, Melbourne City, of course, have got the experience of, of winning it in recent seasons. I think they've got the best squad depth. Um, Western United have probably uh, you know, got the best foreigners in, in terms of the, the batch, good, a nicest blend of overseas players, good Australians, and young talent emerging like. Dylan Perias, to name but one. Lockie Wales has had a, a good second half of the season. Melbourne victory are on this 13-match unbeaten run. Um, but, of course, the, you know, the caveat is Tony Popovich has never won a grand final. So it's it's really intriguing, the finals race. And I, I think the winner will come from one of those three. You don't think there's much doubt about that. Uh, but which one it is, I have no idea. The F3 derby last weekend, Simon, another thriller, 3-0 to 3-3 to 4-2 with a goal ruled out. Jason Cummings, integral again, um, and these two sides are going to play again before the season's out. Uh, the Mariners, they certainly loom as the uh, the wild card, if you like. Would they be your story of the season? Yeah, I think you're right in calling them a wild card because they've got firepower, um, You know, particularly since the arrival of... Uh, Jason Cummings. I mean, Marco Renia can't get on the pitch at the moment. He's, he's coming off the bench and he's still a quality player. So they've got goals in them. There's no doubt about that. Unfortunately, they do leak a few at the other end as well, which is a problem. Uh, it makes them exciting to watch, but I think they're a good puncher's chance in the finals. Um, I don't think any team would particularly want to be drawn against them. I, I guess the only question mark against the Mariners is this, is, is this ongoing saga surrounding Oli Bazanek, who you know, was an integral part of their midfield for most of the season and, and has, you know, seemingly fallen out with the club over uh, some sort of contract row over whether he's going to be renewed or not. Um, but Nick Montgomery, I think, has done a terrific job and they've got they've got such a great crop of talented youngsters. I mean, look at Goran Kowal, who came off the bench um, to score that brilliant fourth goal against the Newcastle Jets. They're exciting and uh, it's, it's great to see because, of course, they were in the doldrums for, for so many years. So, yeah, watch out for the Mariners. They, they could be a smoky in the top six. Uh, and another one, Simon, I want to ask you about sort of from a broader perspective, and it's the midweek matches. Obviously not by design, but I'm of the opinion that they've been, as, as a fan who goes week to week and is pretty engaged with my club, I think they're probably one of the, the primary issues facing the league at the moment is, is the midweek matches. The the fans are fatigued, the, the families can't get out there, and the storylines that, that 
flow and, and sort of bloom across a season is suffocated because the games are upon you before you've had time to, to digest what's gone before and to think about what's to come. So, as I said, not by design. How important do you think it is that we get back to a regular sort of season rhythm for next next season? Look, it's absolutely crucial. And, uh, you know, if you ask the, the people at the APL, they'll tell you exactly the same thing, that what they're praying for next year is uh, an unaltered uh, fixture list because, you know, I think they had 88 games postponed after the, you know, the latest outbreak of the pandemic. So they had to try and squeeze that all in before the end of the season. And it, it's been difficult. I can tell you as a commentator, it's been difficult because, you know, you throw in the, the FFA Cup, which was delayed as well, and, and the Champions League, and that's all bunched together because it's in a hub and Socceroos and Matildas. Goodness me. I mean, you know, we don't know whether we're coming or going, let alone the fans. So... It will be much better, hopefully, next season. There are other issues to fix, of course, as well. Um, but I, I think that's a primary one. And the fact that the fans have probably you know, lost the thread of, of the narrative of the season, so it's, it's made it difficult to engage the supporters. And obviously, that, you know, that's, that's a big problem. And Simon, look, I know we're talking football here, but uh, it must have raised uh, an eyebrow for you during the week when Jack Nile from The Age published an article that Paramount uh, um, and 10 were going to have a crack at the AFL rights. So given that the, uh, the Paramount uh, platform is, is a burgeoning one and, uh, and football is uh, the first sport that, uh, that, that uh, appears or at least appeared on, uh, on the platform, to get... Uh, a sport like the AFL involved, surely um, the rising tide lifts all boats theory um, must come into play. Did, did that um, interest you and, and, and your football colleagues at, uh, at Paramount when you heard that story? Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's probably no great surprise that if you're if you're building a platform and you've you know you've taken on board one major sport in football. Um, you're going to look at others to be subscription drivers. This is, you know, this is a business model that's uh, as old as uh, satellite TV and, and certainly precedes, um, you know, the digital space. Uh, so it's, it's no great surprise that they would go after other sports. Um, you know, it could help uh, our, our sport, our competitions. Um, the, the more subscribers you have, obviously the, the, the greater the possibility that they might be tempted to watch um, our games as well. Probably a lot of them uh, are cross-code fans. They, you know, they follow one in the winter, uh, one in the summer. So it could also be a game changer. You know, obviously at the moment, a lot of those uh, sporting rights are held by Fox Sports and, and others. Um, if Paramount were to, to come in and take the AFL, and we're talking, you know, theory at the moment, but if they were to do that, then... You know that would change that landscape as well. It's it's, it's very competitive, and uh, I think it's you know it's a landscape that's going to shape shift very quickly over the next few years as well. Mm, yeah, we'll watch it. Well, uh, you know, as you said, it's it's early days, but uh, but uh, Gillan McLaughlin is uh, in the states negotiating with all of the the big deals, and obviously, ten Paramount being owned by CBS, an American company, uh, suggests that there is some firepower behind, behind those conversations. So, yeah, it seems like it would be good for football if uh, if they did get the deal. Hey, Simon, look, we'll, we'll let you go. Uh, looking forward to those uh, finals, as the boys say. Uh, hopefully, we'll get you on when when the season, the regular season's over, and we can have a chat about. Uh, the, the genuine uh, chances and, and as you say whether Central Coast can be the wild card Wellington Phoenix Adelaide United we haven't talked about them either so uh, we, uh, we thank you for your time as always mate and uh, we'll talk to you again soon Cheers guys have a good week Excellent Simon Hill always great to have you on with Simon okay stick around Socceroos more Socceroos and Matildas from uh, the Clubland next with Willem on Box to Box 
Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Can never get enough of Simon Hill, the great man, the voice of football in Australia. Wonderful chatting with him. Uh, We're going to talk about more Socceroo and Matilda club action shortly. But before we do, the clock is ticking, gentlemen. What's a clock ticking to, Willem? Mother's Day, Roberto. Exactly. Mum's always the word, and she's always there for you. So this Mother's Day, give her a special fragrance at a special price. Now, Michael, um, I uh, know that your uh, your mother is a very uh, proud monarchist and uh, and bears um, a couple of glorious names from the great... um, uh, well, let's say last seventy years of um, of the the English monarchy. Uh. Yeah, my mum's name is Margaret Elizabeth. Her maiden name was Robertson, so she has Scottish heritage, and her family were Rangers fans for obvious reasons. Um, but Margaret Elizabeth Robertson, she's actually a Republican, Rob, because she believes is she that really. Yeah, after the Queen, after the Queen goes, she loves the Queen. After the Queen goes, she thinks that's the best time. For Australia to have its own head of state, but I don't know whether her mother, who obviously named her Margaret Elizabeth, um, in a time when, um, you know, when my mum was born, um, Elizabeth uh, the Queen was only a little girl. So Margaret Elizabeth would have been on definitely on the minds of uh, my grandmother when, uh, when the, she was born. So I don't know whether my grandmother, um, my mother's mother, would uh, agree with my mum's current views political views but uh, she supports the queen loves loves the queen but thinks that uh, maybe at the end of her reign is the best time for australia to have a head of state and i probably agree with that well well getting in very early happy mother's day to, to the great margaret elizabeth edgley who was uh, born uh, the the boys and your sister and and, and what a wonderful family that, that you have each uh, as we're all very proud i know my mum uh, de larice has gone to god willem your mum is uh, still uh, a young woman very much so, yes, Cheryl. Not a, uh, not a Rangers a, fan. Shezza. She shares with an S, yes. <laughs> and and who's her team? Not, I'm not sure. Uh, the Sorry, Bombers from Kyabram. The Bombers from Kyabram. Timmy Watson. What about uh, Damo's mum? What's her name? Maria. Maria. Typical Italian, eh? Maria. Maria. My mother-in-law was Maria. There you go. Fantastic. Well, we're all going down to Chemist Warehouse. Rob, what are we going to get from Chemist Warehouse? Give us some ideas, Roberto. Okay, well, you can get for the, the for the, the lovely Margaret Elizabeth some Calvin Klein Euphoria for women, Michael, 100 mils, 49.99. For Cheryl Roberto Cavalli for women, 75 mils, 49.99. And for the oh, lovely women. Maria, some Japanese fragrance. Issey Miyake Japanese for women, fragrance for Maria. 69.99. Mark Jacobs Daisy, 100 mils, 79.99. And Lancôme Trésor, 100 mils, 109.99. What deals they are at Chemist Warehouse. They're great savings, guys, uh, every single day. And a lovely tribute to our mums. Uh, well, there's still a week to go, so don't miss out. Now, Willem, uh, you've got plenty more for us, so uh, get stuck into it, brother. Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. Rob, packages are, of course, on sale now for the Socceroos Playoff Tour in oh, June. Oh. It's going to feature 11 the nights. sales are in... coming in. I'm pretty happy about that. Oh, I yeah, can't right. wait to get over there. I'm getting quite excited about that. Have you interrupted your own ad read? 
Yeah, I have. Uh, it's going to have 11 nights in Doha and three cutthroat internationals, as we know. Uh, between cheering on the Socceroos, we know now that we're going to have the guided tour of the Souk Waqif. We're going to go to the Banana Island Resort and the Museum of Islamic Art. Uh, you would be mad to miss, Michael. You won't be missing it. You You're also going to Socceroos training after we beat UAE. Is that right? We'll go to Socceroos training. Have a beer with Arnie? Uh, maybe not a beer. Mm. Maybe not a beer. They'll oh, be very serious. We'll be, <laughs> be able to check that out and see how the boys are preparing for Peru. We might even... Um, Go down to the Peru Hotel. Before we get on to... Speaking of Peru, uh, before... I know, I know we, Willem, you are going to finish the, the Green and Gold Army discussion, but um, but for anybody who, who wants a really good listen and a dissection, serious uh, dissection of the Australian chances um, against UAE in Peru, jump on to the Peruvian Waltz podcast. Type it into your uh, podcast catcher and you'll find a certain Willem van Denderen was talking to... Uh, uh, the host, what was his name again? What is his name, Michael? Michael Rice, his name is, yep. Well, I, I just hope anyone Matt, who's involved Matt. with the Socceroos weren't listening to that, Willem, because you gave him a fair pasting. Oh, he just took the slash and burn approach. Didn't he? Oh, he came off the long He was way. hoping no one's listening, but I've just promoted it. <laughs> I only listened in Peru. That was yeah. all right. No, he's uh, he constructed an yeah. argument about the mediocrity of some of the uh, Socceroos performances late in the campaign quite well. But there's but time for them local. to redeem themselves, and I think they will. That will hopefully they will be playing against Peru, and it's an indication of you know we do have a footprint far and wide around the world. So when Michael welcomes our international listeners at the top of the show, he's, no, working, there's he's quite a few. Around, um, that so is far flung Peru. But seriously, um, if you've been cooped up in your house for two years and you haven't been able to get on a plane, all you've been able to do is go down to the local milk bar and buy some instant coffee. Here's your chance to get on the Big Bird. Go over to Doha and support the Socceroos in what are going to be monumental FIFA and Asian uh, intercontinental playoffs. They are edge-of-the-seat stuff, and I can't wait to um, get some bragging rights over my colleagues in the UAE. can't wait for that, and I can't wait until we play Peru in what's going to be the biggest game for Australian football in the last four years. And one man who's coming right at the... Uh, he's coming good at the right time, rather, is Riley McGree. Spent a bit of time out injured with Middlesbrough, but he's back for the very pointy end of the season. He scored two in two, and they're within touching distance of the championship's top six. So he scored goals against Swansea and Cardiff. Uh, also good news for two of our Aussies in League One. They might not be involved against the UAE and Peru. We'll see how we go. Uh, but both Sunderland and Sheffield Wednesday are in the top six of League One. So for Masluongo uh, and Sheffield Wednesday and for Bailey Wright and Sunderland, uh, hopefully good things to come over the next couple of months. To Scotland, Nathaniel Atkinson continues to be a first choice option for Hearts ahead of the Scottish Cup final next month. He's played the full 90 and a through two win over Dundee in the last week. And this Sunday, 9pm Australian East Eastern time. Ange Postacoglu and Celtic can drive home their advantage atop the table when they play Rangers for the fifth and definitely final time across all competitions. So with four to play, including this one, they lead by six points. So it is a make or breaker, isn't it? They win it, they've probably got it. Uh, they lose it and it might just be squeaky bum time across the past three weeks. Certainly squeaky bum time as well, Michael, in the English Women's Super League. Before you go to the English yes. Women's Super League, can we just have a big, big, big props and uh, shout out to Denny John Rowe whose team, Toulouse, has been promoted from League 2 to League 1 in France. That is big. And if you get on social media, just type in Toulouse, uh, League League 2. And um, I'll tell you what, there's some footage from the main stadium of Toulouse with 
thousands, I mean absolutely thousands of people just having the time of their lives partying. Toulouse is back in the big time in France. Was he drinking a, a Green Demon, a VB? He was drinking uh, something that could have been construed as a VB. Like a VB to me. Check it uh, out. That's a big miss from me. Apologies. Yeah, that's like uh, Rob Green, 2010 World Cup, South Africa. Straight through the legs, Denny uh, Genre winning uh, promotion there with Toulouse. English Women's Super League. Yeah, why not? Tied at the top. Sam Kerr has scored again. A 3-1 win over Tottenham uh, means they are still on top. Arsenal, though, Caitlin Ford returned serve and was also on the score sheet. So Can with I just three talk to play, about the it's Chelsea, Chelsea by a point. Chelsea game against Tottenham, I watched it. Tottenham got 1-0 in front and then, believe it or not, after the equaliser, the Chelsea goalkeeper was sent off. So they went down to 10 and they were able to uh, squeak out a, a win, a very, very good win, and Samantha Kerr getting the important goal in injury time. She well and surely got the job done. Just the one Aussie remaining in the Women's Champions League as well, Ali Carpenter with Olympic Lyon, uh, played the full 90, and they edged PSG 3-2 in the first leg of their semi-final. Uh, another story in women's football, close to Australia now, is that Afghanistan's national women's side uh, are back on the pitch. They played out a nil-all draw against the Buffalo Club in Victoria State League for West uh, on Sunday. Tell us a bit more, Michael. So Jeff Hopkins, who's the coach of Victory's Women, uh, is coaching this side as well. The side are playing under the Melbourne Victory banner. Uh, we know they were evacuated from Kabul in August. Uh, and just reading through the story, I mean, they're on again this Sunday. They face Melton Phoenix at Ron Barassi Senior Reserve. And just the, the normality of the situation and that, you know, it's now they're playing in a league season. They're going to roll out again, uh, try and go better than they did last season uh, to provide these these people with, uh, with a good dose of normality uh, after what they've been through in their home nation over the past, uh, over the past 20 years, really, but particularly over the past... Um, 10 months, if you like, uh, I thought was uh, was quite quite good. Unbelievable story and uh, fantastic effort by Melbourne Victory who have been supporting the Afghan women's team since they were evacuated out of Kabul and uh, and found their way to Melbourne uh, and Australia. So well done to them. And Jeff Hopkins taking the reins. So isn't that just the most amazing story? The most successful coach in the domestic women's competition the highest level is coaching in I don't know what is it State League 4 or something like that yeah um, unbelievable but I spoke to Melina Ayers who's over at Iceland and she made the comment to me she said you want to have a talk to a couple of those um, Afghan players round 6 or 7 into the competition because she said she's enjoying the team meetings which are held in Icelandic mm-hmm. much more than Jeff Hopkins team meetings which are held in English she said Jeff goes on a bit in the team meetings and we just I just hope those Afghan women's players he doesn't lose a few of them when he's uh, doing the the uh, the video analysis of the week before game in the team meetings apparently he goes on for a while a little bit will him Yes, no, uh, wouldn't wouldn't surprise. Uh, let's wrap with a little bit of Champions League, Rob. We've discussed Sydney with Simon, but Melbourne City, they are still in the mix, but they did let slip an opportunity to secure progression to the last 16, that uh, fifth group stage match against BG uh, Patum. Nil all, um, Andrew Naboot had a lot of good opportunities. You've got to find a way to finish at least one of those. So they're second in their group. Uh, we know only the top sides are guaranteed to advance, but should they beat United City on Saturday night, as they have done already this tournament, uh, they're a good chance to be one of those six second place teams and Yokohama F Marinos Rob finally sit top of their group by a point they're going to play John Book for top spot early next week and that'll be a great achievement for Kevin Musket to once again get out of the group stage of the Champions League as he did with a victory in 2016
Yeah, we talked about it from a Sydney FC point of view, but the fact that uh, that um, that they led that match two 0 after ten minutes, and uh, and they peppered the goals uh, and and fi- and finished the game with the the third uh, late in the match with only ten men. It's a pretty fair indication of of where uh, Muskie's going as a coach, uh, particularly at a club that uh, you know, has the heritage of, of Ange and his success. So uh, I guess we just uh, watch this space and and if. Uh, if um, Muskie can uh, can get a, a you know a, a result similar to Ange uh, at some point, maybe we see him in Europe again as well. After uh, where was he before? Was it uh, in Belgium? Um, Saint Truiden, yeah, Belgium division, yeah, yep, Belgium, Saint Truiden. Stick around uh, because after the break, we're going to talk to Mark Bosnich about the Champions League European style, and uh, if we do have a bit of ch- time at the end, we'll we'll have a bit of a yak about uh, the Premier League as well. So stick around, Mark Bosnich next on Box to Box. Box to box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal. Yeah, this is box to box, and uh, good chat with our good mate Simon Hill earlier on in the show. But uh, a fellow we would love to talk to a lot more of uh, a guy whose career we followed in club football for so many years, and he did so many wonderful things with the Socceroos. Uh, from Stan these days, the Socceroo Premier League legend Mark Bozza, Bosnich. Welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Good evening to you all. Yeah, thanks, mate, Bozza. Hey, um, look, you, you've got pole position these days with Stan uh, uh, covering the Champions League. We had Max Rushton on a couple of weeks ago. The great yeah. Actor, um, and we love listening to his podcast, The Guardian Football Weekly. But uh, Oh, don't tell him that, but <laughs> oh, I better edit that bit out of the pod, mate. <laughs> but, but, but Liverpool just did what they needed to do. I mean, Unai Emery has done some yeah. amazing things with the Yellow Submarine. But that match, City v Real Madrid, that that was a show for the ages. A hundred percent. And I'll, well, I'll talk about that first. That, that was one of the greatest games of football that I've actually had the privilege of witnessing um, in, in my life. Um, you know, even from a young kid and, and some of the fantastic games that we've had, especially at the semi-final stage. Um, and, and especially in this competition, which is the, you know, it's the best footballing competition in the world bar none. And uh, it really lived up to that. What a fabulous advertisement for the game worldwide. Um, two teams who, who you know who played tremendous football. They played the game in the right way, and uh, and, and in terms of uh, you know Manchester City, I can understand. You know, and I said this afterwards. A lot of their supporters may be feeling a little bit disappointed they didn't win by more. But like like I said after the game, and I'd say this to them right now. You know, be proud of your team. You know, you, you went toe to toe and completely outplayed um, one of the great teams of the last decade. Um, yes, it, it should have been more. There's no doubt about that. But you're still in pole position. Uh, and in terms of Real Madrid, um, you know, w- what a fantastic, you could say, advert for, you know, in how imp- a never-say-die-in-a-winning mentality. Um, you know, nothing phases them. We saw it against PSG when they were outplayed for pretty much the both legs. Uh, we saw it against Chelsea when really, you know, if you're a Chelsea supporter, you know, we should have won that game in Bernabeu in terms of winning winning the tie. And they've done it again. They're like a prize fighter that keeps looks as though, you know, he keeps getting punched and it looks as though they're on the ropes. He's about to fall and they keep coming back. And everything to play for in the Bernabeu. Uh, the game at Anfield, different type of game. Uh, Craig Foster was saying he got it spot on. that It will be like a defence versus attack type of game. Uh, Villarreal did the job that they wanted to do in the first half, uh, but Liverpool are a relentless side. I, I think you, you'd be hard to find a team in the history of football that are so relentless as Liverpool are. And, and, and so far as I was concerned, it was only a matter of time once they scored a goal that they would get even more. You got a little bit of luck with the first goal. Um, but it was their pure perseverance 
um, that basically led to that. And then obviously Mane got the second and then really just hoping from a Villarreal perspective and from a neutral's perspective that they'll have something to play for, that they kept it at two, and they will do. Um, but let's not forget that Villarreal is, is a wonderful story. Seventh in La Liga, um, you know, they, they're only in the competition because they won the Europa League uh, final last year against Manchester United on penalties. And to get to this stage after beating Juventus uh, and Bayern Munich is a wonderful achievement anyway. Um, so we're all set. It's, it looks as though at the moment, but we know football, how unpredictable it can be, that uh, it will be Liverpool versus one of Manchester City and Real Madrid. If I had to pick one now, I would say Manchester City because, like I said, I thought they were irrepressible the other night and it was just unfortunate for them um, that, they, that they conceded the goals. But you've got somebody like Benzema at the moment who's in career-best form regardless of his age, um, you know, who only needs half a chance is going to score. And other players in that side, like Modric, um, like Cross, um, you know, people of, of that type of ilk, uh, Vinicius Jr. as well has been a revelation for them in this tournament, that when you have players like that and Courtois and goal, you're always in the contest. Bosa, I just can you just reflect on Karim ben- Benzema for us? Because he, yeah. he is just like, the ultimate big time player, isn't he? He just seems to rise yeah. to the occasion, and uh, and I just wanted you to reflect on because he he's had a troubled um, career, and he is in career best form. It appears that way, but he's had ups and downs, controversies on field, off field, you name it. He's been involved in it. Um, but what does it take to just be that good? in the big games, you know, the, the mental approach to it, and in particular, just reflecting on his journey and just he's been awesome yeah. in the Champions League. He's been unbelievable. Well, he's been unbelievable. You're exactly right. In terms of what happened off the pitch, that's something that I don't know particularly a lot about, but I think what people got to remember is is off the pitch. But in terms of his mentality uh, and his, uh, his ability is not in question, but the mentality to do it continually at a club, like Real Madrid. Remember, we're talking about, you know, arguably the greatest club side in the world. They've won the Champions League, was it 13 times now, uh, more than any other club, uh, is something that you have to, you just turn around and say, what, you know, massive respect to you, um, because it, that, that is not easy whatsoever. I mean, he's now on 14 goals. Uh, I think he's only played uh, 10 games uh, in the Champions League thus far. And uh, he's just been amazing. And he's been the fulcrum of that Real Madrid side. I know Modric played a massive part in them coming back, both against PSG and especially against Chelsea. But uh, it was Karim Benzema. You could see him, you know, inspiring the crowd to to get going at the Bernabeu, inspiring his teammates. His closing down from the front is is absolutely amazing. And, uh, And, you know, somebody said to me the other day, you know, Real Madrid was, you know, for the last three, you could say, well, the, the, the two games against PSG and the two games against Chelsea, and even especially in that game against Manchester City, they looked as though that they were going to go out. You know, it was going to be, yet they keep coming back. Is their name on the trophy? And and that's something that uh, that I think, regardless of all the tactical talk we do and this and stats and whatever and all that, sometimes those type of feelings are hard to suppress. 34 years of age, but I think a massive turning point, not only for him, but for the whole Real Madrid, was the, 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 the guru of, football fitness coaches, Antonio Pintus, who made his name at Juventus during the 90s, the ex-Italian paratrooper. He was brought back in by Ancelotti um, this season uh, for Real Madrid, and I think you've seen the benefit of that. Because of the away goals rule being scrapped this season, the, the situation yeah. for City is the same as it was when they had that KG 1-0 win over Atletico Madrid at uh, yeah. the Etihad. So they've got the same, the same uh, thing to do. They went to... Uh, Atletico and and sort of you know sort of played it out to a nil nil draw, mm. but obviously 
against a very defensive side, do, you, do they go with the same game plan to Real Madrid or is that just yeah, like... I, yeah, I, I don't think so. It's a very good point. Um, I can understand it, um, where you're coming from as well. But I don't think so because Real Madrid play a different type of football um, that Atletico Madrid play. Atletico Madrid under Diego Simeone, they flirted with trying a different style, but their identity and pretty much always has been, especially um, you know through the times that have had great success... Uh, has been, um, you know, the solid 5-3-2 at the back uh, to hit teams on the counter, um, to, you know, to be very, very compact as a unit, both defensively and offensively. And and Real Madrid's is, is far different to that. And, you know, they allow you a little bit more time and space to play. They try to play a lot more themselves. They, they try to keep as high a line as they possibly can, which will create gaps um, for the likes of De Bruyne, you know, for the likes of Jesus uh, Sterling if he plays Foden, uh, to, to get into. So I, I think that their mentality will be a, 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 a lot different to the Atletico Madrid game. I'd be very surprised if Pep goes out and looks for a nil-nil draw. I don't think it's in his nature. I don't think it's in his team's nature. I think that they'll go out to try to win the game uh, and play pretty pretty similar. I mean, regardless of the fact that Real Madrid scored three goals, and like I said, there's a few, I could see City supporters are disappointed. They were phenomenal. They should be very proud of their performance. If they perform like that again, they'll go through to the final. And Bozzo, uh, moving on from the Champions League uh, to one of your old clubs. Uh, yes. Who, ever since uh, Sir Alex uh, left the building, uh, it's gone from <laughs> chaos to calamity. Uh, um, I heard uh, your colleague Max Rushton, uh, and I used this gag last week, said they'll need all 10 hugs to improve the situation uh, at uh, <laughs> Old Trafford. So, Give us your assessment of Ten Hag um, and how long yep. is it going to take? Uh, other, and will they give him the time? Uh, uh, well, my assessment of Ten Hag from his time of Ajax has, has been, the uh, you know, you could say a, a massive tick. Um, you know, should have got to the final back in, I think it was 2019, that last-minute goal from Tottenham, which, which saw them through. Um, he's produced some wonderful young players, um, you know, uh, De Litt, uh, De, uh, De Jong, um, Danny van der Beek, uh, who, who obviously were, is on loan at Everton now, and I think he'll come back into into the four at Manchester United once Ten Hag comes. Um, so he's got all the credentials, but you know, managing in the Premier League is a lot different to managing in the Eredivisie. But like I said to you, the, the fact that he's done so well in Europe with a, with a much unheralded side and done it quite consistently, um, uh, you know, I know they this season they. They would have been very disappointed to go out to, to, to Benfica when they did uh, all org as well. And how long will it take? I, look, if he gets it right, which I think that he will, I think it will take a lot less time than people are predicting. You know, people are saying total rebuilding. There, there will be, uh, you know, some, you know, you could, t- you could turn around and say to it some knocking down and rebuilding. But I, I'm more along the lines of what Ralph Rangick said. And he's there on the scene and saying it doesn't have to take two to three years. It can take two to three windows you know, for it to start, uh, you know, to start getting back on track and you can actually see where they're going. Now, a lot of people turn around and say, oh, that's what we thought with Oli, that's what we thought with Jose and all that. Yeah, and that's completely understandable. Um, but the bottom line is, where else do you go? You know, what, what do you do? Do you stay in this moment and turn around and say, oh, you know, we're just going to wait for every type of slip up and then go, oh, see, I told you. No, you've got to go forward. Uh, he's young. Um, he's very, very much into uh, the modern techniques of, of how he plays football. Um you know, the teams that if you watch the way that they play is suited to what the crowd at Manchester United wants, which is, you know, really good uh, attacking football, a lot of vertical play. He doesn't like the, these teams going sideways too much. Um, so he has got it all ahead of him. But you know what? In, in terms of taking over, 
at a time where you could really put your hand on your heart and say it's pretty much the only way is up. I think it's a good time for him to take over, and I think he can do it. He can transform Manchester United's fortunes. Well, Edward Wood and his crew have uh, stuffed up at every possible level with uh, the coaching appointments since yeah. Sir Alex. So you'd think that they're eventually going to get it right, Bozza. Uh, yeah. Speaking of a club that does have it right with Jurgen Klopp, um, what's your sense of the the possibility of this uh, this mythical quadruple uh, uh, actually happening. Um, Manchester City, you know, they had a 14-point lead at one point. It's now down to one point. Um, so they, they, they were Liverpool relying on them to slip up. But obviously the Champions League well and truly in play. The FA Cup final yet to come and the League Cup already won. I think they've got a, an excellent opportunity of doing it. Um, you, you still need a lot of luck in these situations. I remember witnessing Manchester United's treble back in 1999 and you know, there were so many times, <coughs> excuse me, uh, during that so-called run-in um, that you thought, oh, this is it. You know, it, it, it's going to go here. I remember them, you know, playing Juventus, that great Juventus team of the 90s, who I was mentioning before with uh, that fitness coach, Antonio Pintas, who made his name. Um, and uh, I remember them in the semi-final. They were 1-0 down to the last few minutes in the first leg at Old Trafford. Giggsy pops up and, and scores. They were 2-0 down in Turin after about 15 minutes, and they come back and won 3-2. Um, you know, Arsenal in the FA Cup semi-final that year. I remember Dennis Bergkamp having a penalty to basically see Arsenal through, and they did it, um, and, and they end up winning the league, you know, by the narrowest of margins as well. But the most important thing is they they, they stayed in the fight. Um, we, we know about the League Cup. They've already got that in the bag. They're in the FA Cup final, and it's amazing as well. I mean, you know, talking to the boys at Manchester United, because I joined pretty much soon after, um, it, it's amazing as well how winning one can sort of catapult you uh, to, to win the next one and the next one and how important that is. Or if you lose one, then they actually could make, you know, the, the, the momentum stopped and you, and you could lose a couple. So that's going to be very, very important for them. Like I said, I think they're into the final now, um, which is the second, well, it'll be the third major final that they've been in this season. The league is going to be super difficult because if you're looking at the run-in, although they're quite similar, I still think marginally, marginally, if you're looking at the fine details, you have to say Liverpool's running is a little bit more difficult. But the way they play, and more importantly, the squad that they have and the players that come in who seem to be completely unaffected of the fact that they're not starting, they know exactly what their role is when they come in, um, you know, leads you to, to think to yourself, they've got every opportunity, as much as opportunity as any team in history um, of, of pulling this off. Um, so, you know, Premier League, like we said, well, there's five games to go for both sides. Um, uh, they've got, you know, difficult game on the weekend coming up. Uh, I think it's Newcastle away. Uh, so, you know, that's a week-to-week proposition. These games for Liverpool are all finals, in my opinion. Um, so it's 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 going to be a nail-biter for all Liverpool fans. But I'll tell you what, if they happen to achievement, sorry, to happen to achieve it, um, it really couldn't have happened to, to a nicer guy than Jurgen Klopp and, and a great manager. Um, you know, the way that he's put this team together, the way he's gone about his business, the style of football that they play, uh, it's been really refreshing. Um, and for his sake, um, you know, I, I, I'd really like to see someone like him um, achieve it. It, it, it would be, it, it, for me, it would be a, a, one of the all-time great achievements of any football club. 
And Bozza, um, I, I work with a couple of guys on this show who are absolutely death riding it. Since uh, Arsenal won that Invincibles tag, it's the only thing they can hang their hat on. So, <laughs> oh well, that was a great achievement as well. You, you can't you can't take that away from them. Yeah, but what, can't take that next, away from them. What's the next yeah. word above Invincibles? Surely there's one that uh, if you well, want. Manchester United treble winners, and like I said, then we went on to win the World Club Championship uh, like a, a couple months later, which I was part of. That was that was a, a tremendous achievement. Uh, the doubles of the early years, one of the most inspirational doubles was Liverpool's one uh, back in 85, 86 when Craig Johnson scored that goal at Wembley, which inspired so many Australians uh, over here, including myself. Um, there, there are so many achievements throughout the life. And 2010, I think it was, Inter Milan won the treble in Serie A. Um, you know, Real Madrid have done it, Barcelona have done it in their own leagues, Bayern Munich have done it as well. Um, but this would be, you know, something very, very special. A lot of countries don't play two domestic cup competitions, it must be said. They might turn around and say, well, hang on a minute, if we had another domestic cup competition, we may have got the quadruple. Um, but this would be right up there in the pantheon of, of wonderful club achievements. And probably probably the great, well, there'll be no one that's better than this one if they happen to pull this off. Yeah, true, Bozzer. And it's, in all seriousness, it's just great to, to watch great football teams. If, got two amazing if, if, if they... jumping in here. Yes, of course. I knew you, would, you wouldn't be able to let that one slide. No. Under the ribs Can't let you have all the fun, Rob. I didn't realise this was the Liverpool segment, Rob. I mean, Bozza's, a, Bozza's a busy man, right? We've just spent half an hour, half an hour waxing Liverpool about Swears Wrap It Up. Come on. Uh, oh, they deserve it. They deserve it. Like I said, and, and so far as I'm concerned, like I said, especially growing up as a Manchester United junior, uh, it, it was inbred in you to uh, to have a, a, a quite a dislike, especially for Liverpool. That was, that was probably the, the number one in terms of rivalries. Um, but uh, the bottom line is the truth's the truth, um, and, and this is this is lining up for something truly amazing. And we'll enjoy it as it as it comes to pass, whether they do it all or not. Regardless, it's going to be great into the football season, and uh, and um, and we're looking forward to, to watching it all uh, play out, mate. We'll watch it on Stan with you and Max Rushton and Craig Foster yep. and Vince Regari, mate. It's bloody fantastic, uh, excellent coverage. So if, if you haven't, if you're listening, and you haven't got Stan, make sure. Uh, you get it uh, real soon and you'll be in for a lot of fun. As long as Bozza sets his alarm clock. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a very good point. I've got three now after what happened <laughs> against Athletic. So there you go. Uh, but mind you, mind you, I didn't miss much. It wasn't the greatest of games, but it was a complete opposite. You have to say the funny, some of the, the great games that we've been fortunate to have this season. I was really concerned, you know, because I, I said, you know, it, it's a you know brand new start and, and I, and I said, look, you know, but, you know, the group games in the Champions League can sometimes become tedious, but we were so lucky. We had so many good games and there's so many teams were playing football in the right way. Uh, and that, for me, like I said, to that Real Madrid-Manchester uh, City semi-final first leg, that was absolutely amazing. If, if anything comes even close to that, I'll be so happy. Yeah, and in all seriousness, mate, as football viewers with so much media available these days, the, the, yeah. the, the crew who host the the, uh, the the coverage are, yeah. are just as important. You've got to have good yeah. people, and you guys have got great chemistry, so we're really enjoying that, mate. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, you know, like I keep telling everyone, and like you said, you know, we've got the right diet in terms of the Champions League. It's the greatest football that there is on the earth. Yeah. Uh, you've got the best players playing with and against the best players, um, you know, and, and on a regular basis. But uh, the vitamins, the, the the coverage has been uh, exceptional. There's no, uh, there's no way other way to put it. You, you're exactly right. Very fortunate with Max Rushton uh, that he's come over and, and and taken up the reins. And then Craig Foster, somebody that always wanted to work with. Um, and the only concern that I had is that because we both talk so much, as you can uh, attain to uh, off this interview 
that the, that will be continually interrupting. But uh, he's been absolutely fantastic like that. And, and like I said, you're just really looking forward to it. It's, it's a real breath of fresh air. Um, but uh, again, coming back to what the main thing is, and we get a lot of great guests on as well. Uh, Mark Pugach, you know, Samra uh, Hunter, uh, Andy Brassel, the list goes on. Mark Langdon, uh, you know, Jonathan Wilson, all these people, uh, pretty much through Max Rushton, um, who have come on. I'm sorry if I've left anyone out. There's so many of them. Um, but they really add a really good spice to the show. Um, but the most important thing out of everything is, if the football was not so good, um, it would be difficult. There's only so much spin you can put on things, but the football has been absolutely outstanding. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully we get the second leagues are fantastic in the final when it comes around. Hey, Boz, uh, mate, we could talk to you all day, uh, but we'd love to get you back on again soon. Um, it's been fantastic yeah. talking to you uh, this week, mate. And Lovely, absolutely lovely. And just before we go, just, to, just a reminder, a quick plug. We know all the international teams that are coming down here um, and today, Aston Villa uh, was announced the first in one of my old clubs, um, a, a special place in my heart for Aston Villa, won two major trophies there. And they, they're coming down and they're going to be playing against Manchester United in Perth and, of course, in Queensland as well. Uh, the, and they'll be coming up against uh, Brisbane Raw, Crystal Palace, Leeds. Um, it is, it's going to be absolutely fantastic. I really can't wait for that. We know about Manchester United. They're going to come up against Melbourne Victory, Brazil versus Argentina. Barcelona are coming towards the end of this month as well to play the A-League All-Stars. And like I said, you know, growing up here in Australia, I used to look forward to these games so much. You know, I remember when Manchester United come down in Juventus, um, you know, during the 80s. Um, The only difference being those days, uh, those teams used to play against the Australian national team and now they're playing against club sides. So that's a a bit of progress from our side as well. But a a marvellous, marvellous occasion. It's always great. Um, The gold dust that will be sprinkled by these events. Uh, can have lasting effects. Well, I'm interested to hear you say that, Bozza, as well, because there's lots of competing views, and we've discussed some of those uh, on the show um, this week. But uh, but I guess that's what you you really hope for for uh, these uh, clubs when they visit is that they sprinkle that gold dust on the younger generations yeah. that they want to play football and that they want to uh, follow it throughout their lives, and uh, and hopefully that's the legacy. Oh, 100 percent, 100 percent, and we've seen it. I mean, the benefits. Are, 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 I mean, we could go on all day, but. I mean, a lot of people that, so far as I'm concerned, who turn around and say, oh, you know, what does this do for Australian football, blah, 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 really are, are the type of people that if, if they were dealt uh, a four of a in a poker game, they'd turn around and instead of being happy, they're only happy if they're unhappy. Um, bottom line is this, uh, as a young, like I said to you, that, that was, you know, one of my main themes with the exception of going to see the Socceroos, uh, going to see these international greats, you know, coming down, in the flesh, uh, you know, even when New York Cosmos came down, who had the likes of Franz Beckenbauer, okay, he, you know, he wasn't the Franz Beckenbauer of five years earlier, but it, it was just absolutely magical. Uh, and and there's the other benefit as well that we can we can see uh, where the local teams are at um, in terms of, you know, when they're coming up against them. And the other thing as well, I always remember when West Ham came over to Australia and played in Perth and they saw Stan Lazaridis and Harry Redknapp signed him up pretty much quick smart. Mm, mm. So that's another thing um, that you've got to take into, consider- into consideration, that it's an opportunity for the local boys when they play against them to show what they've got. And the teams are like, oh, wow, look, you know, look at that player. You know, we, we didn't know that about that player. Um, but, but the ultimate thing is, like I said to you, you've got teams that are coming from arguably one of the, you know, one of the best leagues in the world playing in your country uh, against your local sides, it, it's just really a wonderful event and it really should happen year in, year out, in my opinion. Bozza, the case is closed. <laughs>
<laughs> Thanks, mate. Hey, Bozzer, we'll, we'll let you go. Thanks again. We'll be at some of those games, um, certainly uh, uh, over the, around the country, and, and lots of our listeners will be too, mate. And uh, we'll uh, we'll bring you on again real soon when you've got some time for us and, and have a yarn about, uh, about football again. Thank you so much, guys. The great Mark Bosnich, soccer guru. He played for Villa, as he said, Manchester United, and uh, he's uh, one of the best commentators and pundits that there is in the game right now with Stan. Uh, get a hold of it if you don't have it. Yet there is still plenty of time to talk more football. Stick around after the break. Stoppage time on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. The box. This is stoppage time. Good chat with uh, Bozza just now about the Champions League, but uh, the pointy end of the top flight continental competitions uh, coming around very, very fast and it is super exciting in the Premier League. Just wondering who will win, who will lose. Will uh, City be able to hold that one-point lead? Will Liverpool be able to pull them back? Will Arsenal be able to hold on to fourth spot? Derek, there's heaps to talk about, mate. That's right. Not just in the Premier League, Rob, but also across Europe as well. But we will start in the Premier League as, as is our want on this show. And yeah, as you said, the um, Liverpool City kind of block Buster continues. If you were Watford, I think you'd be quite glad if you were going down because uh, they have lost 15 games in a row to Manchester City now, an aggregate of 58 goals to eight. This is just absolutely shocking form against one particular team. So maybe it might be uh, mercy for Watford to go down, but City uh, march on. And then, of course, Rob's Liverpool um were pushed by Everton for for big chunks of the game. There was some skullduggery from and some time wasting early on in that game, but Liverpool found the uh, the extra gears uh, and got the job done. And of course, it was a double whammy for Liverpool with you know maintaining their impeccable form uh, across all competitions and pushing uh, Everton into the rele- relegation zone. And that's because Burnley, uh, who are defying all the doubters including me and other people on this show, um, that uh, they can cope without Sean Dyche. They've taken seven points from nine games. Uh, Edge, uh, 1-0 over Wolves, who I think are on the beach. Their season's pretty much done. But maybe a tinge of vindication here for the Burnley hierarchy? You'd have to say absolutely, um, because they've given themselves every chance and Everton all of a sudden is like got their backs to the wall in a massive way. So um, the fixture um, has its twists and turns, but uh, at the moment you'd much rather be in Burnley's position than Everton, wouldn't you? I, I, I think so. I think it's uh, points on the board and uh, all the teams have tricky-looking run-ins run uh, at times, um, you know, so it is down to really Burnley and, uh, and Everton. I mean, you could make a case for Leeds United. They'd sort of just sitting there but that would presume that both Burnley and Everton would pick up dramatic form and I just don't see both of them doing that and we're bearing the lead here anyway Edge um, obviously uh, the Arsenal United game stayed up late to uh, to watch to watch that one it was a chaotic game I can't say that I particularly enjoyed watching it because uh, you know United had good chunks of the possession there's obviously the the Fernandez penalty disaster for United and uh, you know and then and then Jacker um, swept it home I mean but what a difference two games make Arsenal lose to Brighton and Southampton and we're all doom and gloom and all of a sudden they 
go to Chelsea and get three points and then they stuff United as well. So uh, two two points clear of Tottenham Spurs, uh, uh, a Tottenham edge. Do you think, uh, think we can hold on? Well, they've just got to win, haven't they? But they've all of a sudden they've got their destiny in their own hands because of Tottenham's um, misstep. So, yeah, look, um, if they or they just got to keep winning. And uh, look, they were very good, I thought, against Chelsea, and uh, they took their chances against Manchester United. And um, who would have thought Arsenal are in fourth spot with um, really a bare bones squad? And uh, so, it, if they can get into fourth spot and stay there, it's a it's a pretty huge achievement. Who've the, who are the remaining games? Uh, they've got to go oh. blow some bubbles on Monday morning. They've got yep. West Ham away. They've got Leeds at home. They go up to Newcastle, and then on the final day, they host Everton. Yeah, so Newcastle away is probably the big one. I think the other games, they're good enough to, to get results in. Uh, the Newcastle away game, they're on fire. I actually think Liverpool's trip to Newcastle this weekend, Rob, is going to be um, potentially a banana skin for them. Newcastle has been in, um, not only have they been good form, but you know, my looking, looking at it from over here is that they are showing a lot of spirit. And, um, you know, sometimes late in the season, you know, this, I mean, they're up to ninth on the ladder. They've been incredible in the last month and a half. And I think this is a tough game for Liverpool, Rob. No, I, I agree. Eddie Howe's done remarkable things. So we'll just put aside all of the politics of Newcastle and just talk about them on the football field. I mean, Kieran Trippier is, uh, you know, a, just a, a professional's professional and doesn't get talked up enough. Uh, the, uh, um, the, the whole feel around St James's Park has changed, hasn't it? And and you're right. This weekend, it, look, it could go either way because you know I, I don't think Leeds are uh, are uh, not without a chance against um, against Manchester City as well. So talking about it from a Liverpool point of view, well, let's say if Liverpool do get the result against Newcastle on Saturday night. Uh, then you know Leeds at Ellen Road are a tough proposition, and uh, I watched a lot of that game against Palace uh, um, at Selhurst Park on the weekend, and, and they were uh, a good value for that draw. Uh, and Palace have been one of the form sides in recent times, so this I think this weekend could have a, a huge say in in how the the final uh, result of the Premier League. Um, uh, eventuates. You, you mentioned um, West Ham as well. Their edge, Arsenal, going there, of course. And one of the big things for them is that, that you know their season's really about these two games against Frankfurt. Now I know the league's important, but you know they've never they haven't been this far for a long time. This feels like you know a once in a lifetime opportunity for this squad. You know you can see this squad either being broken up to a certain degree in, in years to come. So th- that that's big. And Arsenal might take advantage of that with West Ham not really, you know, prioritising uh, uh, the games. You know, they certainly dropped a few players um, against Chelsea. Chelsea obviously won uh, that game and sort of solidified a third uh, despite missing a penalty, a dreadful hash. And finally, a goalkeeper just standing in the middle of the goal for... Uh, for Jorginho, I've been calling for it all season because he does the same thing every time. And someone showed the bottle just to stand there and let him stroke it at them, and that finally happens. Um, so, but not all good at Chelsea, though. It they, they say that now that Rudiger will not stay at Chelsea. They can't offer him a contract, and he is off to Real Madrid. That's a good signing for Real Madrid. It's a huge blow for Chelsea. So, while they keep their season uh, alive to a certain degree, uh, they're still 
suffering uh, to various levels because of the uh, the debacle behind the scene. And just a, a quick uh, a quick one just for James Ward-Prowse. Um, brilliant goals in the game uh, he played for uh, Southampton. A superb free kick. He's only second behind David Beckham now in terms of uh, free kick scored in the Premier League. And I don't know if he gets enough credit. But uh, looking into the uh, Euro Leagues, Jens, I said that we'd we'd just run the rule over Europe. In terms of where the title has been decided, uh, Paris Saint-Germain of uh, champions for the 10th time. Um, but their fans walked out of the ground before the end of the game, despite an amazing goal from Lionel Messi. Uh, they, you know, they um, they are the champions. Uh, the fans not happy though, and it looks like Edge um, potential interesting manager swap Poch on the way out, despite winning his first league title as a manager and uh, potential manager coming in in Conte. What do you what do you think of that? Well, there's just there's been a lot of talk about that 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 potentially going to happen you know they've secured a record equaling 10th league one title PSG um, but Mauricio Pochettino unfortunately um, looks like that's not going to be enough to keep the job because of Champions League failures you would assume so the Argentinian is obviously not going to Old Trafford is he because that's been well and truly settled so um, is a swap back to Tottenham on the cards because the type of coach that uh, Conte is and the type of clubs that he's, the big, big, big clubs he's managed and the success he's had, he might be just be the ideal candidate for the Qatari owners at PSG because they are craving some success in the European competition because, you know, the whole project swings on whether they can actually bring home the bacon in Europe and they haven't been able to do that. I don't think Pochettino, yeah, I think the most, Pochettino wants to come back to England, there's no doubt about that. Uh, the only club he could rejoin is Spurs, and that is assuming that Conte went the other way. He's not going to go to any of the other top four, five, six clubs for one reason or another, and he's not going to want to manage a team outside of those. Sometimes you think that managers just sort of suit where they are whether it be Sean, uh, Sean Dyche at Burnley, for example, uh, or, or um, David Moyes at, uh, at Everton and West Ham. And I just feel like there was a fit there. And, I, and even if, even though I am a biased Arsenal fan, I'd, when when Poch was axed and Mourinho was brought in, I did think, you know, what what on earth are they doing? Like, honestly, that, you know, the wrong manager in Mourinho coming in and, you know, the best manager they've had in a couple of decades going out. So, you know, I think, Edge, I think that could be something that they would consider. Uh, looking at Germany, um, Bayern have won the 10th straight title. Um, that, you know, obviously, a, you know, a good achievement on paper. That record is the uh, winners of the Viennato League, uh, 15 wins in a row. So that's where Bayern have got to go next. Um, on, on paper, you'd say that, you know, another regulation title for them, and there are some that are saying Bayern are not. Um, this wasn't a vintage season for them, but um, it wasn't. It's, it's still a very exciting league, this Bundesliga. It is still worth looking at a few things. You kind of got the usual suspects on the top four, but you've got Freiburg uh, in fifth, uh, and Union Berlin in sixth, and Köln or Cologne in, uh, in seventh, and Hoffenheim in eighth, all looking at European football. These are small clubs or clubs that have been right down the bottom of Bundesliga, um, not even including Frankfurt and all that, who are ninth. So, yeah, okay, Bayern Munich, um, they're clearly the best team, and you wonder when the the, uh, race for the title will be competitive again, but there's actually some good stories to uh, to tell in, in Germany, so we should keep an eye on that. 
probably the most interesting game uh, league sorry in Europe is Serie A and it took a huge turn overnight uh, Inter Milan were in the driving seat for this but they were absolute goalkeeping disaster against Bologna um, saw them miss the chance to go uh, back to the top and AC Milan are now in control of that title race two points clear uh, they just got up against um, against Napoli who are now you would say out of it but going back to that uh, Bologna goalkeeping howler uh, uh, Rob did you did you see that and have you got anything else you can add to what we've said yeah it was the, the what we uh, talked about before didn't we and uh, and as a as a goalkeeper uh, you, you know the last line of defense and when when howlers happen uh, and they're as embarrassing as this one uh, it uh, it just doesn't get any worse particularly with uh, with what the consequences of what was on the line so the situation is that uh, that that the Inter's goalkeeper in at Radu, who was in for um, Sami Handanovic, he air kicked um, Ivan Perisic's throw in, and the, uh, the the Bologna striker Nicola Sansona just tapped the winner into the empty net. It was uh, it, it was madness after it happened, but uh, the fact that there's only two points separating AC from Inter on the top of the uh, Serie A for the Scudetto uh, just adds so much uh, uh, pain to uh, to. Uh, poor old Radu for the story. It um, yeah, it was a shocker. Yeah, and yeah, one la- one quick line on last line on Italy uh, with the uh, Europa Conference League semi final. Of course, uh, Roma will play uh, Leicester, and that will be Mourinho against Rogers, the master and the uh, the so called apprentice. So I'll be watching that one. Could be a spectacular. Um, in Spain, Real need one point from five to win that one. But I think the biggest story was Real Betis winning their first. Uh, cup in some time, their third ever cup win and Joaquin, I remember signing him on championship manager in the mid-2000s at 41, scores a penalty in the shootout, uh, Arsenal's Hector Bellerin was there, great for him to to, to get the uh, um, to get the uh, the title there uh, for uh, for Betis uh, in the uh, Copa del Rey so uh, well done to Betis and Seville's a great place uh, so they'll be rocking and partying there for sure guys Derek, a nice wrap from you as well, mate. Um, we'll see you uh, on the pod next week. Thanks, gents. Willem, thank you. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, gents. And congratulations if you haven't had the chance to listen to the Peruvian Waltz podcast. Do yourself a favour and listen to Willem van Dendren. Edge, uh, see you next week, mate. Yeah, look forward to that, Rob. And uh, can't wait. How, about, how, how good was Bozza on the show? Great to have Bozza on the show. He's a star legend. And Damo, thanks as well for making sure we sound as good as we possibly can. And. Uh, to our dear listeners, please make sure you subscribe to box to box wherever you get your podcasts. It certainly helps us get up the ratings. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. And make sure you join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.